This is Doug Mescar with Jim Horn. This is the To The Point podcast. Jim, the federal government finally figured out how to pay its bills or at least pay its bills going forward. There's a debt ceiling deal in place. Jim, uh, you know, there's some some pros and cons here. Pro is, well, we didn't go off the, the cliff, you know, at least we got a deal in place. The con is, there's some limits now in terms of spending in the future, Jim. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, do you think, for for the country, number one, but specifically for education? Yeah, that's a really good question, Doug, because, you know, putting some limits and clawing some dollars back sounds enticing, right? I mean, it sounds like that makes good sense from physical policy. And and God knows we haven't had a good physical policy at the federal level in a long time. I think, what, maybe three years out of 40, we've actually even attempted to you know, cut spending. But the, the big question I have um, is when they start talking about capping and clawing back, what does that really mean for school districts? Because they're asking me right now, like, hey, are they going to take away some of the money that I have yet to spend you know, I've been a good steward. I've been trying not to waste the money. I've been trying to make good investments that really help close the, the learning gaps that occurred during the pandemic. And they're now really concerned that, that they are the ones that are going to end up getting kind of screwed over in this process. So what the heck did the federal government do and, and who does it impact and, and what are they taking back? Yeah, what's the fine print? Well, you're all, you know you're familiar with devils in the details. In this case, Jim, for school districts, states, kind of the angel is in the details because the money getting clawed back is only money, Jim, that resides at the federal agency level. So these are monies that the different agencies, not just education, but across the entire government, uh, there are monies that have not been distributed down to the field. And so in the case of education, Jim, all the ESSER money was distributed early on. So this does not affect any of the ESSER dollars, the GEAR dollars, the EANS money, because there's actually no way for the federal government to reach into a state account or a district account and actually pull it all the way back. So this is only affecting, so in the case of education, it's about $400 million that had not been distributed. Um, and these are dollars that are administrative, kind of programmatic for the agency to run, you know, the, these programs and hadn't been spent, Jim. So when you look at all of the dollars coming back, you know, out of $122 billion for the American Rescue Plan, we're talking $400 million. Number one, it's a drop in the bucket. Number two, it does not affect state and locals. So from that perspective, I think they got it right. Now, to your other point, they put some spending caps in place, which probably means, Jim, that normal appropriations, Title I, Title II, Title III, um, those will probably be flat funded, Jim, as we go forward. So in that respect, the stimulus money's still there, but you're not going to see a huge new infusion of federal dollars. So when it comes to states and districts, it's like, yeah, there's some good news. Like we didn't get, you know, slashed, but there's no real additional federal money to kind of soften the ending of these dollars, that fiscal cliff, which could be a challenge, Jim. Yeah, this, um, they're, they're, you know, they were giddy with excitement 
when the first, you know, chunk of the federal money, Essers one came in and then then Essers two. And of course, Essers three was, I think, the biggest pot of them all. Right. right? And a lot of them have been tried to be very careful. Uh, They generally sometimes can't help themselves, though. Right. I mean, they they start spending this sort of non-recurring revenue on recurring types of expenses. Right. And then and then I guess they're hoping that, you know, something will continue, that there's somebody will be charitable with them and there'll be more dollars flowing. I think that moment is coming to an end. I think that they, they definitely are going to be driving off a, a physical cliff, especially if they have, you know, spent this money in a recurring on a recurring type of expenditure that they're not supposed to, but, you know, they kind of, you know, green is green. It's fungible. And they kind of move things around. And I do think that there is a moment coming where there's, there's going to be some difficult, hard decisions. And because I think, and what is the deadline? I think on Esther Street's coming up. I think what in September of 2024. I think is the final final deadline. Well, kind of, uh, Jim. So the the deadline is September 30th of 2024 to obligate the funds. And so obligation means you have to have to contract some sort of MOU, something in writing that basically says this is how we're going to spend it, who we're going to spend it with. The actual liquidation, Jim, so how long they they have to spend down those dollars goes through January of 2025. So there's a little bit of an extra time period to spend down, but not a lot, right? And now the feds have also given some flexibility on forward funding. So in other words, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to do a three-year or four-year contract, pay for it all at once so we know that the money is there, and then the money just gets spent down over the years. And that's not something, Jim, that, that states and districts love to do because the the bean counters, well, of which you're one, you know, tend to get a little nervous about paying for things not yet received, but it is a way to soften that fiscal cliff that's coming. But but Jim, to the bigger point, I mean, the Census Bureau just came out with some numbers about how much big city school districts are spending per kid. And it's like north of 25, 30 grand per kid. And so the question, Jim, is like, how much is enough? Do, do we need to keep funneling this much money? Um, clearly, the stimulus was an unusual circumstance, but we're $32 trillion in debt as a country. And at some point, Jim, like that merry-go-round feels like it's got to come to an end. And so you start to wonder, like, where do we get to the spending levels? And can they just keep going up and up and up? Or... Have we figured some things out that we can educate kids maybe on the dollars we've got and not on the future promise of a lot more money? Yeah, when you start talking those big trillion dollar numbers and you divide it by, what, 350 million people yeah. that live in our country, you're saddling the American population with a big debt, right? And I, I know we keep talking about, well, we'll just grow the pie bigger and grow the economy larger. And there, you know, you find a way to kind of satisfy that debt obligation, but it's but it's very real and it's very problematic. And now the big question, Doug, I think is 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 did it have an impact? Did it have a positive impact? I mean, we're talking about big numbers, and you know, and I, I look at some of the private schools, parochial schools that spend a lot less uh, and get pretty good results. I mean, so then the question is. 
where did this money really go? Where was it spent? Uh, and what kind of return did we get on it? And I think that's a that's going to become the bigger and bigger question. I'm beginning to already see some research and some articles from you know folks that are you know clearly have a bias and they have a particular narrative that they want to support to begin with, and they'll probably start producing those kinds of stories. But you know, are we really you know getting that advantage for it? I know that there are lots of school leaders who quickly recognize that we will never have this opportunity again, this kind of dollars to spend uh, and invest. And I was very concerned of how loose the money uh, would be and where they could spend it. And now, you know, we will begin to probably unpack that over the next couple of years as we look back at those investments and and see what, you know, what we got for it. Um, and I, I I don't have an opinion on it right now. It's just kind of a matter of waiting. Let, let's see where where it goes. Well, surprisingly, Jim, just today, uh, the New York Times is out with an article sort of asking that very question of what kind of results did we get? Did we materially Im impact that learning loss with these stimulus dollars? But Jim, you know, kind of stepping back from just the stimulus, just the learning loss, it feels like we're at a moment where there's much more attention on evidence-based, you know, the science of reading. Do we have evidence that this will work? And are we investing in strategies that have evidence or produce evidence of success? And so that, that sort of return on investment idea, man, it feels like, Jim, it's more and more becoming part of the conversation. And particularly if the funds start to go away or at least get flat, man, getting the maximum effect out of the available dollars is going to be more important than ever. You know, you brought up science of reading. I mean, it's, you know, the research now seems to has coalesced around um, science of reading, the principles of science of reading. And oh, yeah, we've known this for 20 years. No, I, well, we probably have known it now for 20 um, years. And, but the prior... 30, we recognize that we didn't do it right, you know, at all. And now, now, you know, there's really no excuses, right? So um, the problem is, you know, what are we doing about it? You know, it's easy to just throw out the term science of reading and, but what evidence are, do we have of that? And I tell you, my frustration is that we talk a lot about reading, but we don't talk a lot about math. And I think that, you know, I get it. If your child can't read, they probably can't do math, right? I mean, I understand, you know, and I know all the stuff about up to third grade. It's all about learning to read and then it's reading to learn. And then, you know, that impacts the ability to do math. But, you know, we know that by third grade, we want them to be able to read. And by eighth grade, we want them to be able to do algebra, right? I mean, those are two very important inflection points in a, in a child's academic pathway and we've got to make sure that we've got that right. I just really hope that Doug and as you and I look back, you know, and you and I both love to see the data, love to see unpack the data, see yep. the research behind it. And I, I I really hope that we have made smart investments. Um but I, I just don't know what that answer is. And I'm you know I'm not going to just jump to conclusions based upon you know, hysterical types of narratives that are put out there for different political purposes. But, um, you know, 
you know, as we said, to the point, what is, you know, are they going to make the right investments? Um, there's still a lot of money to be spent. I think you've been talking about that for a while. It's like, where has, you know, there's all this uh, ESRS 3 money. And is it, you know, there's, I guess the term obligated can mean a lot of different things. You know, I mean, obligated, like financially obligated, like really pre-committed to a particular project, or is it still, you know, you know, functionally available to be redirected to another, you know, place? Because there's still time to, I think, make an impact. Uh, and there's some exciting new technologies, I think, that are evolving uh, into the marketplace that um, are what I would call scalable. You know, there's a lot of times there's great ideas, but you can't scale them. I, I can remember one time hearing about this autism program that had huge results, but it caused like $100,000 per student. And I'm like, you can't scale that, especially when yeah. autism is now affecting like one in 55 kids. But there are new technologies that are scalable and it's great, you know, to see them come into the marketplace. But I've sometimes always said some of the most cunning financial people reside in school districts and in state DOEs and they know how to kind of manipulate the numbers. And and in the end of the day, we don't see a lot of change. You, you see a lot of change in the numbers, but you don't see a lot of change in the behavior and yeah. money changes behavior. And a lot of money changes a lot of behavior. So you know, <laughs> you've got you've to enforce that money. You have to enforce that money. If there's any one thing I would tell someone is, you know, you can pass policies all day long, but it's how you spend the money that will have the impact. Well, Jim, the, the president is fond of saying, you show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities. And, and he's right. Budgets are about priorities. Yeah. And Jim, so just just to put some numbers on it, then then we'll we'll have to finish up here because we want to be to the point. About ninety billion dollars of ESSER three dollars left to be spent it means about thirty percent of the money's actually been spent out of the account, actually spent. So that leaves a you know a two thirds, a lot of money left. Now, most analysis, my own included, would say. There's probably 20 to 30 percent of, of the existing money that's left that's been obligated. And, and for federal speak, obligated means you have a contractual agreement in place. Those dollars are accounted for. They are they are not spent, but they are encumbered. Whatever word you want to use, obligated at the federal level means there is a legal agreement in place to spend the money. And then liquidated means just what it sounds like. It's actually out the door. So that's spent. So I would say, Jim, there's probably on the order of 60, 70 billion dollars to obligate and spend by January of 2025. And that, that's a lot of money because, Jim, nationally, we spend about 700 and some billion dollars a year. 700 plus billion a year on K-12 education. Now that's federal, state, local. But when you think about that 70 billion, that's 10% of what we spend every year still outstanding. You can do a lot of good things. And as uh, a famous uh, saying goes, never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, right. I hope, you know, frankly, out of this crisis that we've all lived through, 
that, that, you know, leaders take advantage of the opportunity to make some change, to really do things differently. Because, Jim, we can't rebuild the system we had before exactly the same way going forward with these dollars. Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You, you're <laughs> definitely now getting to the point. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, Jim, on that note, uh, I think next time we come together, we're going to talk about with some of those dollars, can states replicate what's going on there in Florida or is that not a good idea? And that's what we'll talk about next. So, Jim, good to talk with you and we'll talk again next time. To the Point is your source for bite-sized education commentary on the important issues impacting education today. We can promise you your hosts won't always agree on the solutions, but their conversation adds unique insight to the national dialogue. Jim Horn is a Strategus partner and former Florida Education Commissioner serving under Governor Jeb Bush. Doug Messicar is a Strategus partner and a former teacher. He's also served as a senior ed tech executive and a U.S. Department of Education Deputy Chief of Staff. This episode is powered by Strategus Group, a national education management consultancy. To learn more, visit www.strategusgroup.com and follow us on LinkedIn. When you need education policy analysis without the fluff, get to the point.